Well, my privilege now is to share to you um, from Scripture, and we've been looking at the various signs that we find in John's Gospel. And um, the title of this message, although it will soon be forgotten like most preachers, is With God There Is Always Enough. With God There Is Always Enough. And we're going to look this morning at the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, a very important miracle in Scripture. I, you might say, well, all miracles are important. Well, of course they are. But it's unusual to note that the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in each of the four Gospels. Now, as you'll know, some parables will be in some of the Gospels and not all of them. And some miracles are in some Gospels and not others. But God the Holy Spirit has emphasised this miracle because of its importance and teaching for us by putting in each of the four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Holy Spirit inspired them all to record this miracle. The only other miracle I think that's in all four of them is the resurrection of our Lord. Well, they're not to be compared with his resurrection, but I always find that when someone wants me to pay attention, they will repeat something. And um, God is repeating this, and I think that's because it's important to us. So let me read to you. I'm reading from John's Gospel, and I'm reading from chapter 6, 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months' wages could not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I'd like to just pause for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every word is as important as another. And we ask now as we look into your word that you will speak to us and encourage us in our walk with you. Amen. As I've mentioned, this is one of those signs that we're looking at together and from John's Gospel. As I said, it's mentioned in each of the four Gospels. In fact, this miracle sets the foundation for a later statement where Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. So they're running into one another. And um, next week, we oh, pardon me, next time I'm speaking from this portion, forgive me, 
Next time we're speaking from this portion, um, we may mention that. But Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And it was out of this miracle that those words were to come later on. The scene is very simple. Jesus had been ministering. He'd crossed the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd followed him. So we're told very simply there was a great crowd. Tells us why they were there. It says because they saw the miraculous signs. We know where it took place. It was on a mountainside where they sat down. And we're told when, in verse 4, we're told there, the Jewish Passover feast was near. And you'll find in the Gospels that very often the feasts of the Jewish people and temple worship would be set out to help us have a calendar as to the dates and what is happening. And so we know this was another of the uh, Passovers that Jesus would be involved in. Of course, we were all waiting for the uh, fulfillment of the Passover, which was not a Jewish thing, but a Christian thing where Jesus gave himself on the cross for each one of us. So the Passover finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Just as they did all the sacrifices and all the ceremonies, they were all there to help direct us and help us to identify who Jesus Christ is. That's the most important thing that we can discover in life is who Jesus is. Having discovered him, then we can respond to his love and his grace and give him our lives. So there we have it. It says there a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. That's challenging to us because Jesus didn't perform miracles to draw a crowd. He would perform a miracle to meet a need. But out of that, obviously, there was curiosity of what was done. So he didn't perform a miracle to draw a crowd. He performed a miracle out of compassion and that would draw a crowd. But a great draw of Jesus, of course, was his teaching ministry because he taught them as one who had authority. In a world where rabbis were falling out with each other on every subject you can think of, here was Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you. And the people responded to that because here we have the living word speaking the written word and it came with such power. Well, the story continues. We get to verse 5. It says, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. Now, Mark tells us in chapter 6 and 33 that they ran on foot from all the towns in the area. So when Jesus, people knew Jesus was there, they ran on foot. So this crowd that were coming possibly had some pilgrims who were going up to Jerusalem in preparation for the Passover, but the, the local area, people came out and they ran on foot to next to Jesus. We would love to think that, that when the lockdown is finished, that people will be running to get back into church. Well, we've got enough room for you all, so get your trainers out. We're expecting you the minute the lockdown finishes. And so Jesus looked up and saw them. And then he asked the question, very simply. Um, he said there, Jesus looked up and saw the crowd. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Very simple question. Jesus' compassion is coming out. He's conscious that they've travelled, they've journeyed, they've left their homes. And he felt it was right that they should have some food. And of course, he turns there um, to Philip and Philip answers, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And so Philip uses his human logic on this. He looks at the crowd. He looks at what would be required. He does a quick calculation on the finances 
and eight months' salary would not be enough. Now, I don't know what the national average salary is in this country. I, maybe I should have looked it up on some website, but I didn't. But maybe if you think of your salary and get eight months of it, whatever that might be, Philip is saying that still wouldn't be enough. And then when men's human resources run out, when men's um, ingenuity runs out, there we have an opening for God to step in. And it tells us very simply, and probably the key to this verse, he asks us to test him. Now this wasn't to catch him out. Jesus doesn't, he's not a headmaster who's looking for an excuse to punish us. He's looking for a way to develop us and cause us to grow, that we might have more faith. And so he asked this to test him, because then he says this, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. The test was very simple. What would you do, Philip? And he was supposed to say, I haven't the faintest idea, but I'm sure, Lord, you know what to do. But of course, he came up with calculations, he came up with finance. In other words, his mind could not cope or his heart couldn't con have the concept that this was even possibly too big a challenge for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it says there, Jesus knew what he was going to do. And sometimes in our lives, we come to places where we might say to God, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, eight months wages will not be enough. And it was only to give everybody a bite. It wasn't even to give them a meal. It wasn't saying, you know, it was a three course meal here for X amount, thousands of pounds, just even a bite. So even if we'd have given them the eight month salary food, they'd have gone home hungry. They wouldn't have been satisfied. So Jesus steps in. Friends, Jesus always knows what he's going to do. He does. That's part of his, uh, it's very theological, that's of his, his omnipotence. He knows what he's going to do. He's God. You know, you and I get caught by surprises. Driving down the motorway, I saw a sign saying motorway closed. Got closer and it was the M11. Was I glad because I was on the M1. But I would have had to adjust and, and, and make changes. It, would, it took me by surprise. In the end, it was not a problem. That's what happened to God. God doesn't suddenly wake up and think, oh dear, what am I going to do with that golden meal? Well, maybe he, has, he doesn't wake up because he never goes to sleep, but I'm sure he said many a time, what am I going to do with that golden meal? doesn't take him by surprise. You don't take him by surprise. What you're going through at the moment may have caught you by surprise, but not him. And the solution and the way out of it is to be found in the Scriptures as we learn to trust in him and put our trust in him. So we've still got a problem. We've got a great crowd. They're still hungry. We've, in the natural, we've decided we don't have enough money to do this on our own. And then we come up with another solution. Philip answered him. Pardon me. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a small boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go between so many? Both of the men didn't exercise faith. One said, we don't have enough money. The other said, we don't have enough bread or fish. They were both saying, we can't do it. Uh, we're limited in this. Financially, we can't do it. Materially, we can't do it. Again, sometimes God will bring us to that place where we literally have to trust in him. How often have we said, well, I've tried everything. 
I better try praying. And all God's saying is, why don't you try praying first that you might not have had all the disappointment in other things. I'm sure that's been the case in my life. When I've trusted in my own ingenuity, my own um, situation, and then eventually having come up against a brick wall, I have to say, Lord, can you help me? And he said, about time, God, I've been waiting to help. And he steps in because he already knew what he was going to do. So here we have this offer. Um, as far as Andrew was concerned, it was insufficient. How far will they go among so many? We have five small barley loaves and two small fish. I was interested to note that barley loaves were the bread of the poor. It was the poorest type of bread. I've mentioned bread before. Um, you know, at our house, you know, because I'm very wealthy, as you can tell, we have superseded bread. Yeah, amazing, superseded bread. Now, in Bible days, you didn't go to a supermarket and there was a choice of a whole range of breads. You know, if you had some money, you might have a wheat loaf. If you were poor, you had a barley loaf. And even in this offering the boy brought, it wasn't the seven-seeded, superseded bread. It was the bread of the poor. And I like that. I think that's good. Because you see, friends, that's a picture of you and I. We might have all the resources. We may be able to do this and pay our way. But let me tell you now, when we come to God, just think of yourself as a barley loaf. Think of yourself having, you know, nothing special in you. Anything good in you, he's imparted to you. He took your sins and he imparted his life. And your value and your esteem is not on what you've done, but on what he has done in that marvellous way when you gave your life to him. And so we, we have it. The loaves were small, fine, and they were barley, so they were a, um, not an expensive loaf and two small fish. And the question was, how will they go among so many? Now, this is where Jesus' words, he knew what he was going to do, came into place. Because both of the disciples did not have the answer. And so we move into the miracle. Uh, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place. The men sat down, 5,000 of them. Another gospel writer tells us there would be women and children as well. And then what was he going to do? Very simple. When we looked at the miracle of the turning of water into wine, we realized that that was a miracle of quality. He turned the water into wine, wine that was of great quality, the chairman of the wedding turned around and said, listen, you've saved the best wine till last. So God is capable of doing miracles of the highest quality. Here we have a, a miracle of quantity. It wasn't so much that he was going to make this bread different bread or fish different fish. I don't believe that happened at all. I believe it was barley and it was fish and it was distributed. The difference was it wasn't going to be a, a miracle of quality, but of quantity. Again, I think we remarked when we looked at the turning of water into wine, we posed the question, when did the miracle take place? Was it when Jesus spoke? Was it when the water went into the jars? Was it when the water was drawn out? Was it when the wine went to the lips of the chairman of the wedding? And we came to the conclusion it didn't really matter when it happened, it just did. But in this miracle, we're quite clear. In the turning water into wine, Jesus didn't touch it. He wasn't that close to it um, in proximity. 
uh, and no one would know what had happened except those that filled the jars. But on this miracle, it was quite clear. The loaves went into the hand of Jesus and so did the fish. And so we know where the miracle took place. The miracle didn't take place when they started to distribute it. The miracle took place in the hands of Jesus as he broke it and gave it and gave it and gave it in that way. So there's no debate. But there was something Jesus did before the miracle took place. He very simply said these words. Um, he, he took the loaves Gave thanks. Just there, gave thanks. Now, is this a plea that every time we have a meal, we have to say grace? Uh, many do that. Many say thank you for their food. That's fine. There's nothing wrong. I've got, there's nothing, no message I'm sending here. But on this occasion, Jesus gave thanks for what was in his hands. And after giving thanks, and you might have thought, well, how, oh, just barley loaves is it's not even worth a, a thank you we can't say grace for a, some fish and a two fish and some barley loaves surely you know we give no 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 you, we've missed it you see this was an offering this was given by the boy he freely gave it up Andrew was involved in this he was going to be part and parcel of the miracle and when you and I give our lives to Christ with our barley loaf of a life into the hands of Jesus, do you know he gives thanks for you? You might think, well, no one's ever thanked God for me. Well, I'm sure there is, but you might not be aware of it. You know, we can look around for human responses, human appreciation, and there's nothing wrong. If we seek it out, that's maybe wrong. But when it arrives, it is, of course, very nice. But he gave thanks for what he had in his hands. And you know, God gives thanks to you. You say, well, Gordon, I can't preach. I can't this, I can't. Listen, don't talk about what you can't do. Bring what you have got. Bring your life to him. Put it in his hand. Oh, well, it's locked down. I'm feeling a bit fed up. Well, please, there's no better time now to get things sorted out. So when lockdown earns and we stick our foot back on the accelerator, we can pull away and look for a, a, a great time with God in so many. We can expect God to be preparing our hearts for that now. So please don't say, oh, I'm only a barley loaf. We're all barley loaves. I'm only too small. That's my resources. It doesn't matter. Your assessment is not what's important. It's God's assessment. And for you, he says, the sooner you get into my hands and I give thanks for you, then I can use you and distribute you and you will achieve things you never imagined. But you've got to get into his hands and surrender yourself. Well, it says there, he gave thanks and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. When they were talking about buying the food, there wasn't enough for everyone to have a bite. But when Jesus had finished, it tells us very simply there uh, that they distributed all as much as they wanted. No one went home hungry. No one. Or at the wedding feast, there was, a, there was going to be a challenge that maybe they'd run out of wine. But no one was going to go home hungry. 5,000 men plus women and children. I'm not even going to guess at the numbers. But in the hands of Jesus, that miracle took 
place. And it can take place in our lives as well. And he did the same with the fish. When they had eaten enough, he said to them, and it seems strange, doesn't it, that having provided food for 5,000 plus from two loaves and the fish, five loaves and two fishes, that the next thing Jesus is concerned about is the leftovers. You think, well, surely, what's that all about? Well, I think the key is in the number. It says there they collected 12 baskets of leftovers, 12 baskets. They filled 12 baskets with pieces of the barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. There was so much, there was food left over. But no, that's not just the thing, that with God there's always enough. With God there always is enough. But I believe the 12, I think that was for the disciples. I think Jesus thought, you've been serving. I no doubt for one moment they were involved in the distribution. I don't doubt for a moment that they were very busy serving a crowd like that. And Jesus did not forget them. You see, God does not forget his servants. You say, well, I don't do anything very much in the church. I'm only, and you've heard me say this again and again, and if I'm around here a bit longer, you'll hear me say it again. Don't ever say, I'm only. They could say, well, I'm only a deliverer of bread and fish. No, no, no. You're delivering a miracle. And the disciples had a basket each for themselves. They were not forgotten by Jesus. In fact, the miracle to me is, or the special truth of this, is the fact that there was a basket for Judas. Even Judas was going to betray Jesus. Jesus Judas was going to turn away and betray him. At this point, he was part of the team. At this point, he was part of the group. And Jesus made sure that even Judas had some. I wonder, is there somebody in my life who I am, I am refusing to give a basket of bread and fish to. Jesus didn't. He didn't say, well, John can have some, Peter can have some, Andrew can have some, Philip can have some. No, 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 but not Judas. I know what he's going to do. No. In spite of what he knew, he still fed him. And maybe a breakthrough can come in your life and my life when we look down those people who have hurt us, maybe, have betrayed us, have been unkind to us. And maybe we would have said, well, I'll give everybody else a basket of bread and fish, but they're not having one. Well, forgive me, if it's his miracle, he decides who gets the bread and fish. Maybe people look back and look and thought, well, why did he feed Judas? He fed Judas because at that time, Judas was part of the discipleship team. Maybe... You've got a basket somewhere that you need to give to someone. You say, well, it's only bread and fish. It doesn't matter. God provided for you. Maybe you need to provide for someone else. Well, time's moving on. You've listened so well. It tells us after that that the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did. I'm sure they did see the miraculous sign as it came across the rows. I'm sure he was thinking, where's this coming from? And the disciples were just giving it out and Jesus was dividing and more for you, more for you. Um, I've, I've been in large services where we've tried to serve communion to a crowd. That can be a challenge. Well, this took place and the people responded to it. 
After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Well, things were improving. He wasn't the prophet that was to come into the world. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. But at least he'd moved up from rabbi. There were rabbis everywhere. But at least the prophet, they were, they were acknowledging something special about him, something unique, who's to come into the world. And then we have a strange verse, and we could maybe go over it quickly because, well, the miracle's over. We've had our fill. Let's move on to the next miracle. No, no. It says that Jesus knowing they intended to make him king by force. He was aware that having fed them, it would be in their heart to make him king. You see, these were poor people, as we know, from the countryside. They were living in... uh, 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 sustainable farming. They grew their food for their own homes. There's very little extra to go with it. And they thought, if we make him king, we'll never have to cook again. We'll never have to plough again. We'll never have to sow seed again. We'll never have to harvest again. If Jesus can feed this crowd with the loaves and fishes, well, what a king to have. He can provide for us. We won't have to work. The stress of providing for our families and children will be gone. Well, it tells us then Jesus withdrew himself. Now, isn't it strange that he actually didn't want to be made king? And yet Christmas will be soon upon us and we'll be talking about the wise men who said, where is he who was born to be king of the Jews? We think of that plaque over the cross of Jesus. Jesus, this king of the Jews. It's very challenging. The very thing that Jesus had come in the world to do was offered to him now by the crowd, and yet he rejected it. He went away. He withdrew um, by himself into a mountain. And I just believe that Jesus was thinking of you, and he was thinking of me when he withdrew. It would have been so easy to let the crowd come. Popular acclaim. Jesus is going to be king. You know, he only has to feed a few more thousand in the area or move around the country feeding people. And even the Romans couldn't have contained the nation at that time. But the problem of that is this. For Jesus, it would have been the easy way out. No cross, no nails in his hands, no nails in his feet, no crown of thorns, no tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. It would have been a shortcut to the throne. But it wasn't the right throne. They'd have put him on a throne in Jerusalem. But after his death and resurrection, he had a throne in heaven at the right hand of his father. But the tragedy would have been that if he had become king then, you and I, would still be in our sins. You and I would not have a saviour. We would not have someone who we could come to and say, Father, will you forgive me? And he says, why should I forgive you? Well, Jesus died for me on the cross. If Jesus had avoided the cross, we would have nothing to sing about, nothing to preach about, and that would have been the end of it. But he withdrew. He withdrew. And I don't think it's insignificant he drew to be by himself. I think there was a point where having had this possibility of a shortcut away from the cross, but he overcame it. He put his father's will first. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, 
you know, Father, if it's possible for this the cup to pass from me, let it happen. And heaven was silent. The Father was silent. And his son went to the cross. They wanted to make him king. But he withdrew. And I'm so glad he did. For if he hadn't gone to the cross, we would have still been on our way to hell. When we get to heaven, we'll know who the Savior is. There'll be no confusion about it. He will be the one on the throne who has the pierced hands and the pierced feet. Thank you, Lord. Well, let me just recap in the few moments I've got left. Well, first of all, lessons that we have to learn from this story. Um, there'll be no miracle till we're thankful for what we have or what we are. All that may be stopping God doing something in your life is that you're ungrateful. Now, I don't know you personally. I'm not seeking to condemn you, but I have to check out my own heart. Am I thankful? Am I thankful? You know, am I thankful that I've got a house? I've got a lovely house, you know, lovely family. I've got a, you know, a, a, a lovely car. I've got, you know, I'm thankful. Does that mean I could have a big, of course I could have a bigger car. I could have a bigger house, but no, no, I don't want them. I don't need them. God has already been good to me and I am thankful. You see the bread and fish, one was a miracle of quantity. The water into wine was a miracle of quality. Whatever you need, God has a miracle for you. I don't want to give the impression with the word miracle that you can somehow press a button, pull a lever and a miracle comes out. No, no. God is always sovereign. He is always Lord. And in our lives, he will be doing different things at different times. Sometimes he will be testing us to see uh, if our faith will rise to the occasion. Thirdly, bring what we have to God. So, well, I don't have a lot. Well, barley loaves and two fish, that's not a lot. And look what happened. Bring what you have. Well, when I've learned to pray better, no, bring what you have. When I'm more spiritual, please don't make me shout. Bring what you have to him now. Because the sooner you get into his hands, the sooner you can be multiplied in your effectiveness for him. Always be grateful for what you have. Always remember that Jesus knows what he's going to do. You say, I've lost my job through the lockdown. Very sorry to hear that. But this has not taken him by surprise. We're praying for you and believing that another position will come along. When human resources run out, eight month salary isn't enough. God steps in. And miracles are a result of his compassion. If John performs a miracle in your life, it's because he loves you and because he cares for you and he's interested in you. You say, well, I'm not very... Listen, listen, listen. He loves you. He cares for you. That's the end of it now. Stand back and acknowledge that he loves you and cares for you and see what he'd already had in mind to do. And then lastly, don't let anything in your life be wasted. Some of you have suffered bereavement. Don't let that be wasted. There are others you can comfort. Some of you have been blessed financially. Don't let that be wasted. Bless other people. Some of you have positions of authority and influence. 
Don't let that be wasted. Use it for Christ and his kingdom. And for most of us, we look at our lives and we think, well, there's not a lot to waste. Hang on a minute. Barley, loaves and fish in the hands of Jesus become a miracle. Why not believe that God knows exactly what he's going to do in your life?